Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to This Is Your Normal. I am your host, Bob Ohms. Have you planned your own funeral? How many times have you talked about death today? That's right, death. This is a personal topic for me, and you'll soon hear why. In this episode, we will hear from Pam Shabilsky, a former teacher and youth minister, now chaplain and grief therapist for both a local hospice and level one trauma center. Pam is a lover of life and the afterlife. She is a woman of the spirit who is living in the present. Please enjoy this episode of This Is Your Normal. Hello, Pam. Welcome to the show. Hi, Bob. Thanks Thank- for having me. You're very welcome. I'm so glad to be talking with you today. Today's normal topic is death. <sighs> yeah. For some, it may be a heavy topic to tackle, but I think between the two of us, we could add some life to it. Um, before we get <laughs> Before we get started, I do have a few things just want to kind of put out there just to, so that we all have an understanding of why I would choose a topic such as death. We'll start off with my parents. Both my parents came from larger families. Uh, my dad was one of 13 and my mother was one of six. My dad lost his mother when he was 11 years old and then lost his father when he was 19. My mother also lost her mother at a young age. Uh, She was only nine when her mother passed away and her father was killed by a drunk driver um, when she was the age of 34. So both my parents had lost their parents. My dad was 19 by the time he lost both his parents and my mother was 34. In my lifetime, unfortunately, due to the larger families, I had lost seven relatives meaning relatives, meaning aunts, uncles, grandparents, and cousins. I had been to seven funerals by the age of 14. And in 1996, when I was 14, I attended my dad's funeral. Uh, My dad died at the age of 41. And then there's many uh, other deaths in a large family, such as mine, uh, that have occurred and um, it's even hard to say. I, we spoke a little bit earlier that uh, most recently I learned of another uncle's passing last night. Yeah, I'm so, so sorry to hear that. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, so I do have a heavy heart as we're going into this, but you and I have talked. We've been planning on doing this for several weeks now, and I feel what what better time than to talk about this than in the situation I'm in right now. So uh, that's my background. Um, Death plays a major role in my life. It's kind of dictated my personality almost. I I believe it it, just so much experience of it. Just, I don't know, it's, it's hard to describe to some people. And that's why I want to talk about this today because it's something that we don't really get into as a society is talking about death and I, and no offense to my family, but I think it's um, just something you don't talk about. Um, I definitely know in my personal experience, 
when my dad died, it was like a rite of passage as, yes. as far as my family's concerned. It was okay. Well, uh, now it's your turn. Uh, you're, you're going to go through this. You're going to experience it. And that's all, <laughs> that's the, that's all there is to know. I mean, and I'm sure just hopefully you have some better insights than what I can offer, but it's just kind of like life. There's really no manual and how to do things. And I really believe the same thing is with death. It's a personal experience. Everybody's going to have their own personal experience. Everybody's going to have their own normalcy. So, so that's my normalcy, many funerals, many lost loved ones. And most, most recently for me. So here we are, Pam, I'm going to let you take the reins here and uh, thank you again for joining us. And are you dying to tell me anything? <laughs> Bobby, you have no idea um, <laughs> how, how happy, happy I am to talk with you today, because I think one of the reasons that you are so good at the job that you do is because you've experienced so much loss in your own life. Um, you can empathize with the people that you're working with, the people that, you know, you're, they're at the brink of, of a really challenging situation in their life. And, and here comes Bob. So I'm thankful that you are doing the job that you do. And, uh, and I, decided to go into uh, the death business, if you will. You know, I think that um, growing up, I also went to a lot of funerals. The Polish people, you know, my tribe that I come from, uh, we do funerals big. We do weddings big. We do funerals big. Uh, so life events like that are, are really important. And also the cultural, we, we all have very rich cultural traditions surrounding death um, and the closure that's involved. And, you know, you probably experienced that with your dad's funeral that, that you needed. There was a sense of having that need for closure and for people to come around you and support you in that time. Um, but how awful for you to have to go through that at such an early age. And um, so, Part of my job as a chaplain is to help people work through their grief um, so they can get, there's only one way to get through grief. You have to, you can't go around it. You can only go through it. And uh, I think that you probably experienced that. And I think when I first met you, when you were a student at St. Francis High School, mm -hmm. you were just a few years in to experiencing your dad's own death. That's correct. And, uh, and it was such a raw time for you. And I, I remember, I remember it well. And I remember the music that you played that. Yeah. Uh, what a wonderful world. Yes. By Louis Armstrong. Uh, and every time you hear that song, you think of you and your dad and, and how much you loved Gary. Yeah. So I think it's fitting that we're here to talk about death because it's a part of our culture. So it's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to me. It can happen to either of us at any time. Mm -hmm. And um, we, as a culture, we prepare very little <laughs> for it. And we talk very little about it because no one wants to experience that or plan for that. 
Um, but it's important to talk about it because part of dying well is living well. Mm. And uh, if you are going to leave this earth, you want to leave it in a better place than when you came in. So I think that's really the goal is to live, live well and then die well. And knowing that the people that you're leaving are being separated from, depending on what your belief system is, that you're leaving them with love and light and happiness and kindness and a beautiful legacy. Part of what you're doing, uh, so you are a, as we mentioned in the introduction, you're a bereavement therapist with hospice, and also you are a chaplain at a Trauma One Center in Toledo, Ohio. Correct. Um, so I, I kind of want to veer uh, with the bereavement therapist with hospice. Um, just my experience with my family's death has mostly been sudden. Uh, a lot of young deaths, heart attacks, um, diabetic type death related situations or traumatic accidents. So I've always kind of wondered, how do you prepare somebody who's terminally ill to die? So it's a very gentle process. It depends on how much time we have with them. Usually uh, people that die peacefully and the Native American culture would call it a good death if you die peacefully, mm -hmm. if you transition gently from this life to the next. So people that usually have a gentle experience of transition are those who have worked through the process of accepting, uh, of forgiving, of letting go. And it is a process. Elizabeth Keebler Ross uh, came up with these different stages of grief back in the 60s. And one of the stages is anger. One of the stages is denial uh, and then acceptance. And all of our patients experience that in some way or another. So my goal as a chaplain and as a bereavement coordinator is not just to get the hospice patient uh, to a place where they're comfortable and letting go. It's about getting their family members also on board with the comfort of letting go. So it, and often it has more to do with the family than it does with the patient. Often when people come to hospice, they have exhausted all of the options uh, for getting well. Maybe they've gone through extensive chemo, maybe they've been on and, on and off chemo or radiation or um, this has been a struggle for them for years and they're just ready. A lot of them are ready. A lot of, a lot of the times their family members are not ready. Mm -hmm. So I usually end up doing as a bereavement therapist or grief therapist is working with families to help them in that struggle. I guess the difficulty I'm kind of foreseeing here is we're America and we are a melting pot of cultures. <laughs> so uh, it's, I mean, you mentioned your tribe, the Polish people, um, yeah. <laughs> but especially I know the community that we live in, we are very diverse and um, I have to find that preparing one family may be completely useless to the next family that comes along. I mean, how do you navigate the different cultural settings in our diverse community? 
an excellent question. So every day is different. Every single patient I meet is different. Everyone comes with their own baggage. Mm. Every family comes with their own baggage. Uh, Some of that they may have unpacked and worked through. Some of it they they haven't even touched. Mm. And one of one of the things we talk about at hospice, and I especially discuss this with our social workers, is that we're not there to fix anybody. Uh, we are there to accept people exactly where they're at on their own terms, uh, whether they believe in a higher power or God or Buddha or whether they're atheist. We are there to see them exactly as who they are with all of their faults and weaknesses and all of their brilliance. In every situation, I have learned something new about myself or the people that I'm working with. And it's all about love. It's all about helping them move to a place where they can accept this and be ready for whatever is next. Mm -hmm. I remember I'm thinking back to our uh, conversation earlier uh, in preparation for this podcast. You had mentioned a conversation with one of your friends where she uh, was dealing with her own personal experience, losing her mother. And um, one of the things that I think you experience frequently that um, most people may not, I think for you, it's normal, but most people don't is literally being there when the death happens. Um, I mean, you're there for the the last breath and the passing. Maybe walk me through that process just because I, I don't think that's something many people experience. And that's definitely not something that comes up in conversation. Um, but <laughs> unfortunately, uh, this is part of your norm being uh, the career <laughs> choice that you've chosen. So I, I do have a uh, curiosity about that process and how that works. Absolutely. One of the things that I experienced uh when I was in my early twenties was the death of my, my grandmother, my Polish grandmother, my, my Busha, my Bushi. And it was at St. Vincent hospital where I work now. And um, I had the honor, I call it an honor to be present when she took her last breath. And I was there with my mom and it was three generations of strong women together holding hands And we just prayed her from this life into the next. And it was really a grace-filled moment. My mom, of course, was very tearful and struggled um, and really was in a sense of denial initially. Um, And she kept saying, wake up, mom, wake up. And I said, no, this is what she's wanted. This is, my grandmother was a very spiritual woman. And uh, she went to church daily at St. Clement, where we went to grade school. (laughs) We did go to the same grade And uh, we did go Chargers. Um, (laughs) And so she was a very spiritual woman. And she prayed often that, you know, that she would go to heaven. And and I told my mom, I was like, this is, this is it. This is what she's always wanted, mom. We have to be happy for her. We have to rejoice and celebrate this, that she was in her eighties, she lived such a long, wonderful life. 
And damn, she was a tough, tough woman, a good woman. And so um, that experience helped me to understand that I could probably maybe help people make that transition in the future. So then it was after I taught high school for a number of years, I decided uh, that I wanted to pursue um, becoming a chaplain in the mental, I was in the mental health field for a while and I taught high school and, and I really felt this calling. And so every day, almost every day, I spend time with someone who is in their final minutes or hours of their life here on earth. And I feel that that is a great gift that I get to spend time with these people when they transition from this life to the next. And it can be absolutely grace filled um, for the family members around them. Sometimes it's terrifying and terribly sad, depending on the situation. I've been in the trauma unit with, um, you know, young people and children who have died or currently dying from gunshot wounds. And, and it can be horrible and there can be screaming and sadness, but there can also be great joy. And it's, it's really incredible. It's, it's part of our journey as human beings to experience death and we'll experience our own death. So let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. Let's plan for it and let's make it a wonderful part of the journey. Mm. Planning, planning for it. I, you've already mentioned that before. And I think that's kind of turning into your specialty here is uh, (laughs) that we just lack planning. It's, it's such a hard, it's such a hard thing for, I mean, I, I came right out and said, look, I had, I grew up going to funeral homes. Um, but still to this day, it's not, it doesn't make it any easier. And now as a, a, a husband and a parent, it almost makes it more difficult. Bob, one of, one of the best gifts you can give your family is to plan your funeral pay for it ahead of time so that when you and Jen are no longer there, your children don't have to guess what you would have wanted. And so uh, that's also another thing that I do. Um, I help people fill out their advanced directives, which means how do you want to spend your final months, hours, days? Do you want to be hooked up to a bunch of machines or do you want to just, you know, have some good meds and rest comfortably and, and just be at home surrounded by the people that love you. So a lot of people don't think about those questions and then their family members have to guess at the end of their life, what they think they would have wanted. And that causes great sadness for a lot of people. And so the more you plan, the happier your family will be knowing they're filled filling your expectations and your wishes. So planning, it's not a, a, a morbid thing. I think that's just so against what we're taught, you know, don't think about your own death. You shouldn't plan it, all this. You know. So what you're saying is it's, it's okay. It's actually helpful. It's absolutely okay. And I, and more people need to talk about it. And um, I will give you an example <laughs> from my own crazy family My parents, the day of their 50th wedding anniversary, 
they went to the funeral home and planned their funerals. So that, and that was a gift to us so that when myself and my brothers are at their deathbed, we don't have to worry about the fight because it's expensive. Mm -hmm. The, the financial burden of, you know, how do we do this? And then, you know, we're all like scrambling to get money together. Cause I see families do that on a daily basis Mm. and it's heartbreaking that there are no plans made. So the best thing, the kindest thing that you can do is plan that for your family, for your children, for the people that love you, um, make all the plans you can and let them know what you want and what you don't want so that they're not left guessing for you. Hmm. I'm hearing you say this, but it's just kind of taking a second to register because it's not something we talk about. It's just not something we do. We don't. And, and culturally we are doing a horrible job talking about it. And I see, I see this issue every day, people in their eighties and nineties who are unable to speak for themselves, answer for themselves. And their family members are at the bedside in tears because they're like, what, what do you think mom would want? What would dad want? What would grandpa want? Oh, for God's sakes, just start talking to people about it. Let's just start talking to each other. There's this incredible thing that we have called communication uh, and we can share our thoughts and feelings together uh, about what we want, what we need and what our hopes are. And so it's time to start talking to each other. It's amazing what happens when you communicate. What's the best way to bring this up? You and I are comfortable talking about this and Mm -hmm. putting it out there, but let's just say there's a listener out there who's kind of agreeing with what you're talking about, but they know it may be a difficult conversation to have. So what's, do you have any advice on maybe what a good way to ease into it? Absolutely. One of the best things you can do is say, I love you. I love you so much that I want to hear more about how you want to spend the rest of your life living and what that looks like for you. And some people might think it's morbid, but dying is part of life for all of us. It's it's for, you know, my dog here and and our goldfish. And uh, we need to be made part of these plans. One of the things that worries me the most is when parents try to hide death from their children when they uh, decide not to take them to funeral homes, not to take them to funerals. And then as adults, they are terrified of those things. So I think that your family made a wonderful decision in making you part of all these different funerals because we need to be introduced to that. You know, we need to to bury the goldfish in the backyard. Um, And we need to understand that it's okay to be sad that we can mourn for one another. Because people as adults, if they don't learn that as children, are really perplexed by it. And our culture also, as you know, when someone close to us dies, a lot of our, you know, where we work, a lot of businesses or companies, they'll give you three or four grief days, right? 
mm-hmm. depending how close you are to the person. And then you're supposed to go back to work and pretend like everything's normal. Well, guess what? Life will never again be normal. Mm-hmm. Never. So we've got to talk about it. Up in Ann Arbor, where I used to work for a hospice up there, there's a, a place, um, a coffee house that every Monday morning has this thing called the Death Cafe. Hmm. Uh-huh. What's the Death Cafe? So the Death Cafe is that it, at this, we, people get together at the coffee house. They talk about how they want to live, how they want to die. Maybe they've lost someone. Like you could head up there and talk about your experience losing Uncle Dale last night. Mm-hmm. Um, is, anyone's welcome to talk about how death has affected them. So it's like a, a grief support group. This is needed. We need to talk about this. And grief is not, doesn't just surround people when they're dying. There's so many things that we grieve in our lives. We grieve relationships. We grieve friendships. Uh, Maybe there have been like toxic people in our lives we've had to let go of. All of those endings come with grief. And if we don't have a sense of how to deal with that grief, we're going to carry that for a long time and it's going to come out in other ways that are not healthy. And often people will come up with coping strategies that are very detrimental, uh, drinking drugs, um, you know, instead of, but, you know, let's learn, let's talk through it. Let's journal about it. Mm-hmm. You know, let's meet, let's cry about it. Let's give people the opportunity in our, our culture to cry um, I had an experience when I was in the trauma unit one day and this woman had just passed away and her daughter, her 16 year old daughter came to the hospital, uh, with, um, her grandfather and the grandfather was very stoic. And the daughter, as soon as she saw the mom, uh, and it was not a, a pretty picture, she had died quite a violent death. She fell on the floor. And just began screaming and wailing. And her grandfather said, honey, please get up off the floor. This is not the way we have, we can do this. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, we will, I got on the floor with her and I just held her. And I said, she needs to do this. This is grief. This is grief. She just lost her mom and she has every right to be flat on this floor screaming and crying this is grief and we, and it's okay all of it is okay so it's all about holding space mm-hmm. for people to grieve it's about giving them permission to grieve in whatever form that takes um i had a patient who was dying once and <laughs> her grandson jumped in bed with her and wouldn't get out of bed. And, um, and then, so all this, you know, of course they called in the social workers and, you know, what, should, what are we going to do about Johnny? He won't get out of grandma's bed. And I was like, you know what? Let Johnny sit in bed with granny for God's sakes. He just wants to hug her a little while longer. And when he's done, he'll get out of bed. Like we don't have, there isn't like a timeline for this. Okay. You know, grief doesn't, you know, we can't give Johnny an hour uh, to get out of bed. We, we have to, you know, 
life is changing for these people that are experiencing this. There's no timeline. There's no, like you said, there's no manual. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. And we must accept it at the moment. I want to kind of jump back. um, Some of the things that you mentioned earlier with my family, you said, oh, you thought it was a good thing that my family did take me to funerals at a young age. And, and I know I mentioned, I almost felt, unfortunately, that it was a, a rite of passage when my father died. Um, mm-hmm. So funerals was like our version of a family reunion. Yes. You know, it was, there was, there was weddings and then there's funerals. And that's where I saw all my hundreds of cousins and, uh, you know, oh, this person I didn't get to see very frequently and whatnot. Yes. Um, so I guess the thing that I've always felt was missing though, was what do you say to people? Because I know that when my dad died, I heard some of the most obnoxious things. And if anybody uh, feels, (laughs) if anybody's listening and they're at my dad's funeral and they said something to me, it it wasn't you, I promise. But um, one of the hardest things, uh, now, mind you, this was even, I hadn't even turned 14 yet. Um, this was about two weeks before I turned 14 and time after time, person after person came up to me and said, you're the man of the house. Now, I I don't even know what a man is at this point. And now I'm, I'm, I'm suddenly forced into this role that I don't even know how to define it. And another thing, which I'm sure, uh, you hear frequently also is, um, at least your dad's not suffering anymore. Mm-hmm. And those those two things have always stuck with me. They just, they bother me. And yeah. um, I think because that did bother me so much, now I find myself paralyzed, not knowing what to say to somebody else when I'm trying to show compassion or empathy to them. And just, you know, hey, I'm sorry for your loss. I, I feel it's a little bit too cheap. But uh, otherwise, I don't I don't know what to say. Because anything anybody was going to say to me at that point in time wasn't making a difference. Nope. So maybe a little bit advice. Um, what do you say? You know what? Sometimes saying nothing at all just being present is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I always try to gauge the situation when I'm with a patient and a family and family members who are, are passing away. I always say, would it bring you comfort if I mm-hmm. prayed with you? Would it bring you comfort if I, if it's a native American family, if I open the window a little bit, because Uh, part of their belief system is that you should have the window open a little bit so the spirit can leave the body and and go out of the room. Um, I think it's, it's all about being sensitive to the needs of the people that are there. And often again, Bob, this is why we don't know what to say because we're not, we haven't practiced this. Mm. So one of the things I often say is just take this, one moment, one minute, one hour at a time. Uh, Because grief is a roller coaster. And it sounds like what I'm hearing from you is that 
you may have had a real sense of anger about what the people at your dad's funeral were saying to you, but you couldn't let that out or didn't feel comfortable letting that out. So I have been at the the bed of someone dying with family members who are like yelling and screaming at me. I have been held at gunpoint um, by family members. I, one time when I worked in Cincinnati, I was hiding in a bathroom waiting for the police to come as oh the son of a deceased gentleman who was on my hospice uh, was drunk and decided he was going to kill all of us and also himself. Um, I'm luckily, luckily I'm still here. Right. So that, uh, my life flashed before me in this bathroom in Columbus before the police arrived. But, um, you know what people are, who they are. And what I find is that the grief among family members either brings out the best in them or the worst in them. Mm -hmm. And it just is what it is. And so being present, going to the funeral, holding space for that person, such as, you know, calling and saying, Hey, I just want you to know I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I can come over. I can sit next to you while you cry. You know, there, and most of the times I often say, I realize that there is nothing I can do to fix this. I realize there's not one thing I can do to fix this, but please know that I'm here with you on the, on your journey. I'm here with you right next to you on this journey. And it's going to get better. It might take a very long time, but you will get through this. And if you don't think that you will get through it, then that's why I'm here. I'm here to help you. So in any way I can help you, just let me know. Very nice, Pam. We'll just pause for a minute. How about that? So this is what needs to happen. Not every moment needs to be filled Mm -hmm. with words. I can just be here with you. Mm And that's okay. You're right. Sometimes you just need a moment, you know, just have that space. As a culture, Bob, we don't allow people moments of quiet and silence. We think it everything has to be filled with chatter. Mm-hmm. And that's I mean, look at our culture. We've got our phones going. We've got our computers going. We've got our laptops going. We've got, you know, we're checking our emails at 3 a.m. We don't have to fill every single moment with information coming at us. We can have quiet pauses. And it's in those quiet pauses and that silence. That's where we hear, like, the voice of God. That's where we hear the spirit. That's where the source is speaking to us. That's what I try to provide in my work. I think we should all try that a little bit more. Thanks to your advice. 
Yes. Where I want, I'd like to go now. Um, I mean, we've talked about some pretty deep, heavy stuff. So on yeah. the flip side of those things, um, as a chaplain, I do believe you're also ordained to marry people. I am. And how many people have you married? So, How many couples have you married so far? Wow. Um, I'm going to say probably somewhere between eight and 10. I don't, I can't, okay. I haven't kept track. Yep. Is that, is that something uh, you've always kind of wanted to do too, or it was just kind of, I need, I need a change. <laughs> so I'm going to be honest with you. Weddings are harder than funerals. I'm, I wouldn't have thought you were going to say that. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you why. Often I meet people and I'm helping them plan their wedding. And I realize that they will never work out. Hmm. That this will never work out. And I don't have the power or the place to tell them that. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And I usually know before the wedding. Wow. So um, it puts me in a really precarious situation when that happens. And I don't like it. No. So I usually only agree to marry people that I know really well, mm -hmm. that I know are absolutely in it 100%. Because I've been there when they're not in it 100%. And I, I know that it's going to be, it's going to end bad. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't want to be a part of it. And so actually I charge a lot of money for weddings. <laughs> so that I don't have to do them very often. Because <laughs> um, it's really stressful. And I just don't, I, I know that I don't want to be a part of uh, two people making a really bad life decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So I would, I would, any day, I'd rather do a funeral than a wedding. You are a special person. <laughs> you heard it here first on This Is Your Normal. <laughs> Pam Shabilsky would rather do a funeral over a wedding. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I've done some fabulous weddings. Oh, I'm and, sure. um, and the very first couple I married are happily married and they just had a baby and they're expecting baby number two. So oh, congratulations. please don't, don't think that all these people I've married have like broken up. But yeah, so I, I, see, I see people that are, are getting married that are so in love and willing to make that commitment 100%. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful. So I enjoy those weddings, but it's, it, it can be challenging if you're on the other side of it and it's not a good thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit taken back, but uh, I appreciate your <laughs> honesty in the situation there. You're so welcome. <laughs> um, the other thing I, I also know about you, since I know you personally, um, you love an adventure. I do. So you are somebody who would rather uh, do a funeral than a wedding, but at the same time, you are so very well traveled. You love adventure. I, I think that's important to add to your personality and the personality type is um, that you are an adventurous person. I think you just, didn't you just come back from the Florida Keys? I did. I spent my birthday in the Florida Keys and it was sunny and beautiful and life-giving and, um, and I decided that I wanted to spend my birthday, uh, since it's in January, I wanted to go somewhere warm and beautiful and 
one of my goals is when I go on vacation is that I will not go to any funerals Mm. (laughs) or hang out with anybody that's dying. So uh, that was one of my goals and I accomplished it. I spent the week in Florida. One of the things I found is that doing this work and doing this work, you have to take time to recharge your batteries and step away. And I think that you understand what I'm saying, working as a firefighter, Mm -hmm. if you do not take time to take care of yourself and step away, you get sucked in to all the misery and all the sadness. And I can't allow that to happen in my life and I won't allow that to happen. So um, that's why every few months, I just, I need to remove myself from the sadness and the grief and, and just be happy. And I do a lot of yoga as a transition from my job to home so that I'm not bringing all the heaviness and the baggage back to my house with me. It's important to stay healthy, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, because if you're not healthy, you're not going to be healthy and you're not going to be able to be present as a healthy person for those who need you. So it's super important to me. You've got to have a balance Mm -hmm. to do this job. I think this is the same exact thing you would say to somebody who's amongst grief. Mm -hmm. Self-care is extremely important and caregiver burnout is huge. And that's when we find people break down Mm -hmm. physically, mentally, emotionally, when they're giving too much of themselves away. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I work specifically with, and so do the social workers and the nurses that I work with is caregiver burnout. Mm -hmm. So it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And it's huge for women, uh, especially because we are taught, we are supposed to take care of everything, right? Yes. We care for the kids. We care for the spouse. We, we give, we give, we give until there's nothing left to give. And then we get sick. And we, and when I say we get sick, that can be a physical sickness. That can be a mental health issue. It can be insomnia. Oh, I can't, I can't stress good self-care enough. And every, I consider myself a therapist because I have, I consider myself a spiritual therapist and a grief therapist and every good therapist has to have a good therapist. Mm. So I think that we also need to move out of this whole American culture of this fear of getting help for our mental health issues, because it helps so much for me to talk to somebody about this stuff. Because sometimes people die in in my realm and it brings back memories or it touches something off or, uh, you know, somebody goes off on me and all of a sudden I'm back in that bathroom in Cincinnati Mm. fearing for my life. So that's why I need a good therapist to work through this too. So yoga, lots stay hydrated, man. You got to stay hydrated. Um, and the spirit and surrounding yourself with spiritual, good hearted, kind, loving people. Cause without that, you've got to have your tribe. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a good tribe to support you through all this. And this was helpful for me to have to have this conversation with you today. I really appreciate it. You know. My pleasure. Yeah. Do you have any uh, maybe closing thoughts or anything that you'd like to add? Or I do. 
I think that we have to get a dialogue going in our, our, our country, in our hospitals, in our fire stations, in our police stations. We have to talk more to each other and support each other more. This life is not easy. Living here is not, living here on this earth is not easy. And for many people, it's super challenging. And then on top of that, if you have a job that is super challenging, where people are giving off energy and are taking your energy or sucking the life out of you, you have to be able to make decisions about your life that are healthy for you. You have to be able to let go of toxic relationships in order to be a healthy person in this world. And you have to be able to let go of things that no longer serve you. And so when I became a chaplain, I was teaching high school and I couldn't figure out why I was so unhappy doing that. It was because it was no longer serving me. It was taking all my energy, but, but giving me nothing in return. And so it wasn't until I became a chaplain and I started really understanding how people work and think and move in this world and realizing that we're all on a very specific journey. None of us is right, completely right. None of us is completely wrong. We're all working through it one day at a time as best we can with the tools that we've been given. And so judging people or making judgments about people is really is painful and hurtful. And we have something to learn from every single person we come in contact with. And so I guess my challenge would, you know, for the people that list that are listening or for you, Bob, um, take time to listen to other people, to take time to build your tribe of kind hearted, life giving people. I, I listened to Paris, the podcast with your friend Paris, right before I did this. And this is, these are the people you need to surround yourself with. Love, light, kindness. And it's all about giving and sharing that and bringing the best of who you are to other people. And that's why you're my friend, Bob. Thank you. And this is why you're my friend, Pam. I really appreciate all your kindful words and your thoughts full of wisdom today. Like I said earlier, this is something that I've been uh, looking forward to, uh, believe it or not. And uh, I think this is exactly what I was hoping to get out of this. So I think we can safe to call this uh, a successful podcast. I appreciate <laughs> everything that you've done. And um if you have, do you have, um, is there any way, like if somebody maybe is going through grief or uh, needs a resource to reach out, do you have anything offhand that, that you could offer or? Absolutely. Please reach out to me. I'm at Alara Hospice. Uh, it's probably better to reach out to me on Facebook. Uh, Pammy, P-R-Z. Um, but reach out to me. Yes. Call okay. me. And I can, uh, I can always me. put um, a link in the in the show notes also. Yes, I've got an email as well, Pammy Polish Princess27 at Gmail. So 
I would love to hear from people. I would love to gather a group of like-minded people uh, to talk and share and be together and support one another. Let's do it. Let's do it. Sounds good. All right. Okay. Thank you so much, Pam, for all your time. I will be in contact and I look forward to speaking with you in the future. Thank you. In closing, thank you. Yes, you, the listener. If you've made it this far, you've allowed me the space to be myself and share a deeply personal topic with you. Always remember that I'm open to conversation and the best way to contact me is through email. This is yournormal at gmail.com. And of course, please subscribe and download each episode to listen at your convenience. Thank you again for listening to This Is Your Normal.